0: Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. My name is Sylvan, and I will be your host. Today, we are back in Zurich in our meeting with Dorian Seltz, one of the rarest serial entrepreneurs in Switzerland. His company's office is located in the trendy district of Vieticone. When we rang the doorbell, we were welcomed by a friendly English-speaking co-worker as Dorian was still stuck on a phone call. Their office was the perfect startup cliché. Laptops, papers, whiteboards, coffee cups and pens were everywhere, and you could tell that the whole team was really focused on building their business. Since Dorian was still busy with his phone call, I had a moment to talk about his background and impressive CV. Dorian earned his PhD from the University of St. Gallen, and was a partner and COO of the e-business consultancy firm Namix. Then he co-founded Local.ch, a digital phone book that is still one of the most visited Swiss websites today. But a good career start and a PhD from a great university are not a guarantee to success as he had to realize with his next venture, Mnemonic, an online notebook. This business did not take off, so the team shifted to their current venture called Squiro, an augmented intelligence platform that helps businesses determine their next best action. And now that Dorian has just finished his phone call, we quickly shake hands and go in the meeting room to set everything up for the interview. So it's finally time for the first question. Before we get started with the episode, I would like to introduce you to SPB Startup. If you think that your company is a good fit for the Swiss Railways, Get in touch with them or learn more about their startup programs at spbstartup.com. Dorian, a very well welcome to the Swiss Show. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for having me, Salon. Of course. And today, in this episode, we focus on your entrepreneurial career. You basically started out from a successful position in a consulting company called Namix, mm-hmm. where you're a partner and COO, mm-hmm. a very successful career path, as I would mm-hmm. say, you could have played it safe, but then you decided to join a startup called Local.ch. Mm-hmm. What led you to that decision? The short
1: version is that at the time, Public Group, a well-known media house at the time at Swisscom, operating together the Yellow Pages, had simply no clue how to face the digital disruption. And that led to the creation of um, Local.ch. The longer story is a bit longer. You tell me whether I should tell it sure please go ahead um, as a matter of fact back in the in the in the in the in the mid 90s late 90s when we started with me dynamics um, it was all good right you uh, were king of uh, the street if you could spell HTML and build web pages right. obviously the market became quite more complex in a short amount of time and also became quite more international and around 2000 you as an agency had essentially about three opportunities uh, how to grow that business opportunity number one you sold out to a uh, uh, an international shop, like as an example, Pixel Park or some Swedish guys at the time, very big. Mm-hmm. Um, option number two is you would go and um, um, go to the stock markets, do an IPO. Um, and option number three is you looked for a white knight. Um, because cash flow driven business like we operate at the time does not provide for the sufficient funds to have an aggressive growth strategy implied. Um, in our case, it was the white knight. Uh, white knight was that we sold at the time a little bit to um, public group. And a couple of years later, public group starts to pick our brains for a number of key projects. Uh, one of them was how to um, take that yellow page business, which at the time was nearly 100% print, into the digital age. And uh, we, that is Andreas at the time, one of the founders and CEO and, and, and us, management team, we always had paying customer engagements next to our managerial jobs. And in my case, I started to get involved in how to uh, refurbish, how to um, paint uh, a better future for that yellow page business. And out of that business plan, which we called at the time Columbus, uh, discover a new continent, discover the digital realities of that yellow page business, uh, became local CH because when the plan was on the table, they simply turned around and said, well, you know, you did the plan. Please execute That's how I ended up doing local CH. So you didn't have really a choice? Uh, No, there was not much choice. (laughs) If I would have kind of like fucked up Um, That consultancy engagement would have been difficult to show up at the next board meeting with the opposite sides from uh, public group, right? Right. And obviously, it was uh, obvious that if the team that um, built that business case came up with a sensible plan how to reinvigorate that Mm -hmm. yellow page business, that uh, public group and Swisscom would turn around and ask exactly that team, hey, guys, please execute. And that's how we ended up in in creating Local, my, my,
0: my colleagues and I but i'm sure there also had to be some sort of trigger or bigger motivation than just the pressure from the internal consulting company what was especially appealing to you was it like the upside that you had was it a very interesting business case that you yeah. saw there what what, what was appealing well, to you 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 uh, you know
1: let's let's rewind let's go back to the year 2004 2005 uh, startup was still a word um, that was more compared to be a Chinese lingoism for whatever it is, especially in Switzerland. Especially I can in imagine. Switzerland, right? Especially in Switzerland, um, the the kind of vibrant ecosystem with startups that you have today was simply non-existent at the time. Maybe you had the first elements in the Silicon Valley, obviously, right? Uh, but outside that, nada, right? So you don't get offered many times uh, an opportunity to have a fully funded startup um, with not a limited amount of cash, but sufficient amount of cash uh, with a very clear uh, case of how to transform an existing predominantly print-based business into a digital asset and uh, have all the ingredients for success available. And and obviously being one of the bigger consultancy in that space, NAMICS at the time, the market leader in Switzerland. Uh, we we did preach this the whole time before, right? So you cannot only preach if you don't do the stuff yourself. So it was obvious uh, that this was a temptation to take to transform um, a um, extremely well-run print business into, uh, at the time, that body became the leading digital
0: asset in Switzerland. Nice. Yeah. And you also talked about the team. Uh, I think you did that in a bit of a different way in order to get the best people on board as fast as possible. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about how you actually found the right team members yeah. and what made your team a special team?
1: Yeah, I think for you, yours is important to have a bit of context. So uh, big organizations, um, especially organizations at that time in 2004-05, um, couldn't kind of like spell digital. Um, and, and even less and Spell had zero clue how to decide these kind of things. Right. They took about a year or so to decide about that business plan, whether we want to execute this. Mm-hmm. And when they decided, um, we had, um, that was in October 2005, um, we knew from, from sort of the business cycle of that print digital of that print yellow page business uh, we would need to go live either in 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 late march early april 2006 or then in october 2006. so we had uh, given kind of like the sales cycles of that existing print business two possible launch dates spring 2006 or um, autumn 2006. And to have a launch date kind of like 12 months in the future was a no-no. So when the decision came, let's go for uh, that Columbus, which eventually turned out to be local LocalCH, um, we had six months to go. Which is a pretty short time range. Which is pretty short. And um, you have done businesses before and all the Viewers of your show have have done businesses are engaged in startups in Switzerland, uh, which has a relatively liberal labor market. Right uh, mm-hmm. from the moment you start recruiting someone till that someone is on your payroll, it nevertheless takes about two, three, four, five months.
0: Absolutely.
1: At Christmas, and you have about well, six months. Mm-hmm. So add October and traditional routes to go, you have spring and nobody on your team yet. Um, so that was out of, of, of that moment, we, we started to toy around with alternative ways to do that. So the way we did it is um, we as um, at the time Cedric, my, my CTO at the time and, and Tony, um, my, my my tech lead at the time, uh, Tony still with me. Cedric today moved with his wife to the Silicon Valley. Um, we kind of like drew up on a, on a whiteboard sort of the basic architecture we want to do, right? And then around that architecture, we start to slice that in different components, uh, from a backend component, from an indexing component, to a display front-end component, to the ad uh, component, to the whole backend for the for the ad management, et cetera. And for all of these components, we went into the marketplace here in Zurich, here in Switzerland, and started to look out for people who had an interest to join us for exactly that journey. Mm-hmm. So we went to a number of consultancies and other um, um, IT companies. We went to Sykes, as an example. We went to Eurospider. We went to, obviously, my friends at NAMICS. We went to um, uh, the internal people at Public Group and Swisscom. The thing that we did differently, we didn't engage the consultancy partners, consultancies as such. Mm -hmm. We went there and selected the people we wanted to work with like in a normal um, employee recruitment process. Um, so for every position we had a number of um, applications and when we vetted them like we would hire them which we effectively not did and sure. did not we did as in we put together a coherent team in the moment they started to work for us we said to them it doesn't matter what work contract you have the only thing it matters is that we have a life site in um, April 2006 right. Um, That's the thing we said to the people and to their employers, their respective consultancies, we said, we're going to do that on a long-term base. Um, You're going to offer us extremely competitive rates. Um, If ever we're going to see politics on your side about that mandate, you're going to be warned once. Um, The second time, you're going to be out forever of that mandate. The whole thing as a matter of fact, let's uh, give flowers to where flowers belong to. I have copied from a book that's called The Toyota Way and how Toyota built one of the most fantastic supplier relationship um, structures um, in the automotive industry. It's all in there, and we simply applied that uh, for the IT industry. And I must say, it worked marvelously well, marvelously well.
0: And also this vetting process that you talked about, I guess this was also a very important sort of quality check or quality assurance to make sure that you get the right people on board.
1: Yes, correct. Um, what, what is the right people? The right people is not uh, skin color or, or I don't know, sexual orientation or all of that. The right people was, did they bring three qualities along? Did they bring a passion for the type of um, project we were going to do along? How did you evaluate that? Um, we did a couple of exercises. We let them paint their own vision about how local search should work, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, if you do that with a number of people, you immediately realize who is more motivated to do that and who not. Right. right. Then um, we started with working with them on 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 the actual components, mm-hmm. and let them simply do uh, code checks and, and coding challenges and all, all all the rest of it. And then obviously we had to check kind of like the formalities: are they available? Are they okay to work in that new
0: setup that we want to do, sure. and all the, the the kind of those basics. If they passed those checks, they were part of the team. Nice. And were they then working full time or part time, or did you have both? Uh, you can't be half pregnant. So they were working full time for the duration of that
1: project, and some not just for that uh, first six months period, but for the next two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they worked full time for that project. So, and you really treated um, those external guys mm-hmm. the same way like we would treat internal people, because obviously eventually we started to hire and we started to build up our own team. Right. And uh, it was really funny. I remember one one, one particular instance where um, somebody from the front end team came to me and said, "Hey, this guy is not on our payroll. Why does he think we need to do it this way?" And I said, "There are two or three things wrong in, in your question. First of all, I couldn't care less what payroll that person is on. I only care is this proposal that person brought." Is that a good proposal? Mm-hmm. And the way you approach this is totally wrong. Um, you did not ask whether the proposal was good. You 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 let yourself be dragged down by some formalities of, of, of um, uh, their war contract. Uh, so I suggest you go and think again. And when you have thought this out, come back with either of two options either leave here because that's not the way you want to work Mm -hmm. or come back with a better proposal than uh, this uh, gentleman Um, otherwise he is the one that owns this space and he's going to determine how that works so come up with a better proposal that's okay then we're going to debate it Um, or if you don't um, uh, go back and do something else what happened with that guy? Uh, that person um, was a bit pissed at first. Uh, I know that imagine. person <laughs> talked with many other people. Uh, eventually, that person turned around um, and uh, it took a moment for that person. That we don't want to go too personal, so I won't say who it was. But eventually, that person loved that other style of work mm-hmm. because it put the, 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 the finished product at center. And it um, made possible that people could actually contribute um, and not have to play political games like you have often in larger companies. And eventually that person really,
0: really loved that and um, stayed on for much longer than I stayed on at that company. <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah, that's a good sign. How big was your team in the early days for this first six month sort of project kickoff? Uh,
1: When I started in October, when when they gave me the green light October 1st or so it was, it it was simply me without even the work contract for that new entity. Um, It was obviously kind of parts of that consultancy team, though that has been disbanded because that decision process took a whole year. Um, And um, it was then Cedric and Tony. um, And then we gradually ramped that up to about Christmas. I don't remember, was it 30 people or so? Okay, 30 people, I believe in total eventually the whole core engineering team was about 50 or 60 people if i correctly remember when i handed that over Uh, we obviously then started to take over bits and pieces from the existing yellow page and directories business at the end that core digital unit had about 400 people or so okay
0: yeah pretty big yeah okay in terms of features yeah Was there a clear guidance where you basically said, okay, we know the feature set is basically what the yellow pages do in in the physical world was printed books, we just want to fully digitalize that? Mm -hmm. Or how do you determine about the feature set that you wanted to build in the first six months because you cannot build everything? Not build everything, that's that's correct, that's correct. Um, as part of that of the consultancy uh, process um,
1: that preceded the launch of Local CH, we looked around at the time and, and all of our uh, all of us here, your viewers, we need really to go back and, and, and do a time shift uh, of by now more than 16 years, right? Yeah. Uh, Sixteen years ago, there was no iPhone. There was no Google Maps. Um, there was no JavaScript the way we know it today. Right? That's all
0: very hard to imagine, uh, That's right? all
1: very hard to imagine, <laughs> right? Right. Um, by the way, there was no Facebook, there was no LinkedIn, and a lot of other stuff that we take for granted today, right? Um, so it was really a different era in digital speak. Um, but the, nevertheless, um, you, you could see the kind of like the writing on the wall, right? Um, and the writing on the wall is this. Um, I don't know, where do you live, Silvan? No, in Zurich, but I grew up in Bern. You grew up in Bern. Um, so, you uh, come to Zurich here to work. Have you stopped? Have you stepped out of the train? I assume you took the train. Yeah. Have you stepped out of the train in Alton, the midway point between Bern and Zurich? Not this time, but. Normally, you don't. If yeah. you commute, you don't step out in the That's midway right. point, right? So, what do you have in Bern? Where do you live in Bern, if I may ask, in which rich area? I, I mean, don't I don't live Bern. there I anymore. I come from Bern.
0: I I grew up in the Emmental Valley. In the Emmental. In the very beautiful countryside. Beautiful countryside. So let's take Bern downtown
1: as an example. Out of the place you live, you have a radius of activity where um, research shows about 90% of your time is spent, uh, Mm -hmm. of your private time, of your time at your home, right? To meet friends, to do sports, um, to go shopping, uh, to take your beloved ones out for drinks and dinner. I don't know, to... Uh, go to the cinema and all that stuff, right? right? So the place you live has a certain radius around it, right? And then uh, that commute, um, here in Switzerland, many people do commute by public transport. Uh, The uh, difference to to cars is not just that you're not in um, endless queues and traffic jams, but also that you have your... Time for you, right? You don't need to focus on driving. So, uh, we always called that stretch of, of of way between, say, Bern and Zurich, we called that always bore time. Mm-hmm. People in a time when there was no iPhone were reading the newspapers, yes. right? And essentially were bored, especially after a long day of work. Mm-hmm. So, we always thought about what are elements that could be important to fill up that bore time, right? Um, that could be news, local news, that could be games, that could be what's uh, the cinema program looking like next weekend, sure. what's the weather looking like next weekend, what are good hiking um, guides and, and recommendations for next weekend, right? These could be elements that you could put package into that board time. Mm-hmm. Um, And then where you work, right? Say you work uh, here. Here is about 10 minutes from Zurich Main Station. Again, you have a circle of activity where you take business partners out for lunch, where you maybe bring, I don't know, your shirts to dry cleaning and uh, one of the other things you do in that. Mm -hmm. So if you take that together, what does it give? It gives you kind of like a a dog bone, right? Yes. That's about it. And the whole concept that we said is, The thing you need to do is in that dog bone itself, you have local services, you have local businesses that can, as I said, be the restaurant, that can be the cinema, that can be uh, the dry cleaner, that want to find within that dog bone their customers, their local customers. So the core principle is regardless whether it's print or online, is about connecting people with local businesses. That's what local search is all about regardless of the medium of transport, right? Now, the medium of transport determines however what you can do in that dog bone. That dog bone in print is impossible. That's a book that thick, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you can't even do it
0: because the cinema program changes once a week or even more often. Yeah, you, you don't print a new... Now, you huge can't book, print a new book every week. Right? It yeah. doesn't doesn't, doesn't make economical sense, probably. It doesn't make economical
1: sense. However, sense. However, in, in online, you can do. So obviously, what we said is, the, the way to go in local search is digitize that dog bone. So bring to you as an end user, from an end user perspective, an easy way to retrieve information about your neighborhood, about businesses in your neighborhood. Bring to local consumers um, uh, information about... As an example, what's up in the cinema tomorrow evening, okay. uh, what's up on the weekend. Bring up to local consumers also the opportunity to read about your neighborhoods, like local news, um, and and and, right? And that's what we said about. It. And that requires that you have a core component about maps. Maps is important. Mm-hmm. That's the navigational kind of like um, piece that holds it all together, right? Mm-hmm. And then around maps, you bring directory services. But not just to look up a telephone number. A telephone number is just a means to connect, but you can also connect through email. You can connect through a website. You can right. connect by today through WhatsApp that wasn't available then and, and all other means. So make an easy way to connect. Maybe allow people to reserve online their table for, for, for the restaurant and maybe even buy the cinema ticket in one go, right? Um, bring an ability to people to consume that at the time with mobile um usage low but coming so allow people to consume that in a, in a in a in a in a desktop fashion right but at the same time provide at the time the first mobile interfaces that was kind of the vision and then you have to parcel this up so the first iteration if i recall correctly had a mapping element with the folks from endoxon that were later acquired by google and are today one of the two founding pieces of google maps Um, uh, Then we added um, around that a bit of a directory service with um, local websites for the local businesses. We added, I think as the next one, we added um, local ads, small ads, Mm -hmm. um, classifieds, right, in cars. And then we added, I believe, uh, the what's, uh, the the timeout segment, what's up in the cinema tomorrow evening and
0: all that stuff. So we started gradually to, to expand that local offering. And that was basically also your business model, right? Companies like local companies paid you to get advertised on your site, basically. That's correct. It's a straight business model. It's
1: a straight business model. You as an end user don't pay for us providing that service completely free of charge to you. Um, we accept advertisement um, buys from
0: local businesses that want to be connected with local consumers. Right. That's the model. And what I find pretty interesting is you then scaled the whole thing from zero revenue yeah to about 50 million in annual revenue. In about three years or so, yeah. And that's a very impressive growth. And I think you also had a a very strong sales team to actually sell the local advertising to the local businesses. And that also sort of made it a a Swiss specific case because you were focused on the SME parts.
1: That's correct, yeah.
0: Can you maybe elaborate a bit more in detail about how you actually grew the company from zero revenue to 50 million in three years?
1: Uh, the, 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 the
0: competition at the time, um, the, the thing that um,
1: our friends in, in Bern and, and Lausanne, um, Swisscom and Publique were really, really afraid of was not so much a local competition called Search CH, mm-hmm. even though technology wise, these guys were really quite ahead of their times okay. in many ways. Um, um, uh, we can expand on that maybe later. Um, but they were really afraid about um, Google coming into town. Because it was obvious to everyone in that space that Google will bring a local um, search offering. Why? Um, yellow page businesses, well-run, generated EBIT ratios of about forty percent,
0: which is insane. Which
1: is insane. That's the equivalent of, of that's the equivalent of a printing press, for money. And to the best of my know-how, you only can you only can generate similar profits if you're either in, 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 in drugs um, or, or other crimes, or probably prostitution, right? Um, that's the business they did in terms of profitability and Google coming to town meant ruining that business. That's the thing they were really afraid of. And the, the way we, we, we um, and we, we, I agree that this is what it is. Look at it today, right? Um, local services are owned to a large extent also in Switzerland, to my regret, um, not anymore by by local CH or search CH or what it's called now, local search, but by, uh, frankly, Google. Mm. Right? Um, too bad, but true. Um, now, what we did at the time, we knew we can't compete with Google on technical powers, right? These guys have more resources than we ever can right. get. But what we had was an advantage that they don't have. We knew the local territory, Um and the local territory is um, we obviously co-opted the sales force of the existing Yellow Page Fox, mm-hmm. went to them, um, and went to them with um, a way more attractive offering, um, a digital offering, which at the time was in high demand, actually built that digital offering with the sales folks. Um, We went strategically, and Marlene, um, uh, she is by now um, in, living in South Africa, uh, she was perfect at finding the right, really um, exceeding sales guys that could help us craft that product offering. And and with that, we, we had the advantage number one. We had a very focused on, on local needs focused product offering mm-hmm. built with the people that knew the market here in Switzerland, not over there in the Silicon Valley, right? Here in Switzerland, because it's a big difference. Um, You know, I always make that joke. Uh, Years ago at at NAMICS, we were once involved in an e-banking initiative at one of the big two Swiss banks, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, they wanted to give that to India. And that RFP was the first three pages in English. And as of page four, it was in German, right? And on page four, it read about the e-banking needing um,
0: to be PC compliant. What does that mean, PC? Like computer? No. Like Postcheck. Oh, yes. For
1: non Swiss viewers, Postcheck is the way, still today, about 85% of all payments in Switzerland are transacted, actually through our backbone of the Swiss postal system, abbreviated as PC. Now, everyone in Switzerland's payment um, um, universe knew that. But an Indian dude, not because he's not intelligent, they are supremely intelligent, but simply because they're not local, do, do you not cannot know, know that. that. Yeah. They're going know that, right? Yeah. Guess what happened? (laughs) Chaos. And the same is with non-Swiss people trying to come up with a Swiss advertisement product. So that was advantage number one. And advantage number two is, have you ever tried to call Google? No chance. No chance. You could call us. I handed out my mobile number. Right? And we had 400 people in sales that went door-to-door and I spent two days a week with them uh, going door-to-door in Switzerland. That gives you a unique um, connection to local businesses that the others don't have. So a good tech, a good product, a good online product, I don't even claim we were the best, a good online product combined with a local, locally tailored and, and for the local market tailored offerings, um, a, a, a superb sales force makes success. And that was the success. Uh, that was the foundational element that uh, made this scale
0: so fast. To um, yeah,
1: what was it? Fifty or so plus million exactly. in three years.
0: Yeah, a very impressive story, and I think also a very important key takeaway for people thinking about opening a business in Switzerland. This local connection is still today, I would say super important. I think so, yeah. I think There's so. Once people friend. buy from people. Exactly. Right? Yeah, Especially as much as, uh, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And here you just don't do that over video chat or something. You have still to go door, door- to door mostly in most cases. Look, I operate today a other
1: company called Squiro uh,
0: where we uh, supply
1: AI solutions around the world. Um, I'm going to acquire a Senator status card based on economy class tickets. Why? Not because I'm super proud, but simply because people want to buy from people. Right. People don't buy from computers. They buy through computers things that they know that they need and so on. But you know, for real investments, for things that are game changing for their businesses, they want to touch the other person. They want to have a, a rapport of trust with the other person. And that's something
0: you can't establish just through computers. Then after 4 years at local yeah. CH you also decided to leave the company. Yeah. I wonder why you were growing like crazy, you built yeah. a successful business. Yeah. Why did you decide to leave? I mean, what were the reasons behind that? Well, um with the time
1: um that has gone by since um I I can I can be here blunt, right? Um First, my my uh, colleagues and I had a, another idea that we started Toya around with on on, on, on evenings and weekends yeah. and, and thought, yeah, it could be something um, first. And, and second, at the time, uh, we were pretty successful, that's, that's correct. But both Swisscom and Public Group haven't had the courage at the time to really go full digital and put that front and center of their activities. Mm -hmm. Instead, suddenly I found myself confronted with um, mid-level strategy guys from Swisscom producing. I I really remember that. It was um, the the day of of, um, marriage. Uh, Well, I didn't marry on that day, but kind of like the commemoration of my marriage day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, With my wife, where I was called to go to Bern uh, to um, be part in a meeting of a strategy session of our business. And I was faced with about three or four mid-level Swisscom guys that, if you looked at their CVs, had done a bit of consultancy and then done a bit of strategy at Swisscom. But one thing none of them has ever done, build a business, and none of them has ever talked to a customer. But then they came up with a hundred and whatever page summary of what we all did wrong with local CH, (laughs) And I said, guys, look... I never claimed that we're free of mistakes, we make mistakes, all of us make mistakes. But one thing I don't accept, that you come in here and uh, tell us what we've done wrong if you not have spent a single minute with one of our customers. Okay. Right. And, and that very moment, I knew I need to go here. Okay. Because that's how big companies work, yeah. right? You have some mid-level, sorry, I call it what it is, morons uh, who uh, chockey for position. Um, instead for business and and build something of substance. And I don't need to waste my time with these folks. Uh, Too bad, but true. Um, We then eventually left uh, the business. And um, I leave it up to you
0: and others uh, to judge where the business stands today, right? I mean, I think it's still one of the most visited websites in Switzerland, still today. Um, Look, I
1: only give you that one. The Swiss advertisement market at the moment grows by about, what, 20, 30% per annum, right? Possible, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. about that. Um, uh, local CH, local search grows by about 2 or 3% per annum. What does that say? <laughs> you lose market share every year. Yeah. What a wasted opportunity Absolutely. because of big corporate bullshit going on, seriously.
0: Also, this setup, I I think that's a a pretty special setup that you actually found a startup company, an independent company, but it's funded by two Mm -hmm. big corporates. Is this a setup that, in retrospect, you would recommend to do? Was it just executed not in the right way and there was too much politics involved? Or is that a setup that you say, this is better done in a completely different way and shouldn't be done as the way it was done with local.ch? Like the way we built the team, uh, the way we built
1: these early phases of local, we stumbled across a winning design. There is this concept out there of winning designs, right? Um, you see that in household appliances, you see that in cars in planes, also with our mobile phones, right? There are a number of winning designs. As an example, those icons on an iPhone screen or on a Samsung screen, it doesn't matter the icon um, is there as a representation of an application, right? That's a winning design. Mm -hmm. Um, The winning design we found by building local was we combined a a small and and agile unit um, that is the startup. Mm -hmm. We combined that with the large and resourceful um, unit which was at the time Swisscom and public group. Um, And that combination well played is unbeatable Mm -hmm. because it brings the innovation that many bigger companies don't bring themselves and combines it with the market reach and the resources of those bigger units. So it brings to the table what a standalone startup lacks, namely resources and market reach. And it brings also to the table what often the bigger companies lack, namely innovation Mm -hmm. And uh, new products. That combination itself is a blueprint. I regret that to this day, not many companies in
0: Switzerland have replicated. I think Mila is another uh, example where they did that successfully with Swisscom too. They could. I do not know um, all the details about Mila, but that
1: would be maybe one. Yeah. But yeah, there are but not. There many are not others. many others. There are not many others, even though that this is, it's managerially difficult to do. But why is it, Why exactly? I just outlined that situation with those, with those dickheads of the middle management in Swisscom. Right? Yeah. You, need to, you need to have a CEO, uh, at the time that was Carson Schlotter, that is cognizant of these type of behavioral patterns in his big organization mm-hmm. and make sure that those don't intervene in the development of that small and agile unit. How, how could he make sure that that actually doesn't happen? Oh, at the time when Carson was going, uh, you had a phone call with Carson and say, Carson, this is not the way it should work. Okay. And if he agreed with you, it was one phone call away from this being removed, right? Yeah. That was one of the key ingredients yeah. behind the scenes of making this happen. Mm-hmm. So you need top management buy in to the management to execute it. Absolutely. And the reason being is that this small and natural unit. Mm-hmm. By definition, will do things differently than the big and resourceful unit. That's also the idea behind That's the whole, whole thing, idea. Right? About it. But the big and resourceful unit has an inbuilt tendency to try to um, take in that small unit yeah. and civilize that small unit, right? The equivalent of killing off innovation, right. right? Which to a large extent happened over the past couple of years in, in some places, like, like the one I led. On the other side, you also need that small unit. Um, to be led by people that understand the intricacies of a bigger business. Because not just because you're in a small unit and you call yourself startup, everything is great and fantastic. You need to recognize that only in joining up with the big and resourceful unit, you will be able to bring that leverage on the road that you need to be successful in a short amount of time. Uh, So managerially, from a managerial point of view, it's it's way more complex um, to, to, to manage than a traditional command and control structure in a bigger unit, or a more la- a more a more easygoing, agile structure in a startup, right? Because you need to find middle ground. Um, that that makes it more difficult. But if you manage that, I can tell you, I've I've seen it, I've proven it, and we are just at the moment proving it a, twi- a second time with an industrial partner of ours. It 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 um, it changes the equation in the marketplace in your favor massively. So. And I
0: also think Switzerland would be a tremendous place to be in to actually execute on these plans because here you have so many big corporates that you could leverage for such a setup, if done the right way. Sure. Um,
1: That's what I said Um, many times. uh, You and I have had that discussion for some time. Uh, Switzerland in that space is, is a sad place because it's a collection of missed opportunities. Many missed opportunities. Many missed opportunities. Seriously, many missed opportunities. And it has a lot to do with the the, the inability of, of bigger entities to recognize what's coming with the digitization drive that's going on for some while now. Um, and also the inability of making these type of um, setups work like we just discussed. Absolutely. Too bad, too sad. And I always think it's a bit um, a short-sighted way then to... Complain that um, other people outside Switzerland um, now are super successful and, and Switzerland is not, right? Another example is house trip. House trip was there before Airbnb was there, Yeah. right? They did exactly the same thing that is rent, short-term stays in houses and apartments like mm-hmm. Airbnb did. Who owns the place today? Yeah. Not the guys from Switzerland. Right. Too sad. Missed Absolutely. opportunity. Even though you have in Switzerland one of the world's leading traditions of hospitality education, right? Mm -hmm. Go to the uh, uh, École Hôtelière in Lausanne and a couple of others. Mm -hmm. Every big hotelier um, family and and hotelier uh, tradition has some traces and roots in in one of those places.
0: Yeah, missed opportunity. Missed opportunity, yeah. Then after you actually left local.ch, let's go back to the chronological part. You said you already played around with a new idea. And then yeah. you also pretty soon, I think like a month after you left, you found a new company That's called right. Neptune HE. That's right. And your first product there was basically a Mnemonic, yeah. an online collaborative notebook. That's correct. And basically, why did you think that this was the right timing to focus on this? Because there was no Evernote back then or... No. Not not yet. Coming along, was exactly. coming
1: along six months later. I know, I know. <laughs>
0: so what <laughs> led lunch. What what led you to the to the decision that hey, now is the right time. People mm-hmm. actually need an online collaborative notebook, and you became active in the pretty difficult B two C space out of mm-hmm. Switzerland.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, uh, part of it was maybe youthful arrogance, and and part of it was a bit of of market analysis in, in the world where everything goes digital. Um, where it is supremely difficult to retrieve digital elements. Mm-hmm. I just came around building search, right? So search is all about retrieval of digital elements. Um, in in such a world, you essentially want to keep digital moments to yourself. You you, you want to create the equivalent of a notebook where you note down ids and mm-hmm. where you maybe add a picture or two of a beloved one or so you want to have that same experience in a digital in a digital in a digital reality as well um, regardless of the device you take along you want to have your digital brain with you at all times um, so we thought at the time the time is ripe to test out an id where you build such a digital online memory mm-hmm. and out of that Became mnemonic for memorize, right? Um, so we bit, built a digital um, online note-taking facility that you could use regardless of device, whether mobile or desktop or or, or pad, um, iPad, and so on. So you could take it along. Um, fantastic idea. Um, we had to learn the hard way that um, if you go up against a better financed American rival, <laughs> which just talked about
0: house trip, um, you normally end up not on the winning slot, although. I mean, of course, people can argue about that, but although you had a very good product and also good technology, you don't win the market or you don't win too many clients that way or that way alone. No, we just came out of the building local CH.
1: From a technology perspective, we probably were only towards the end, superior to search CH. At the very beginning, no, the local competitor was technology-wise better than us, but we won the day. We, We were many times bigger than them. Why? Because we had the better go-to-market strategy than them, right? It's correct. Um, uh, some some uh, um, pretty renowned online publications at the time ranked us against Evernote and a couple of the other um, of those at the time blooming online note-taking space. When we started, it was no one, literally. Then a half year later came Evernote. And then over the next 12 months, it was like, uh, it was like uh, mushrooms on a on a, on a wet but still warm autumn day, right It went up all over the place. You had suddenly dozens of these contenders. Um, and it's correct. Macworld at the time ranked us uh, one of the best if not best, uh, surely better than Evernote, um, which was easy at the time to do. Um, Evernote had no collaboration facilities. Evernote had poor security. Um, and I could pitch around for a bit longer. Um, but what Evernote had, what we did not, is distribution. right? Um, Evernote draw, did, did raise about five million at the time. Um, and what they did with the money, they invested that in pre-installs and Sony wire notebooks, <laughs> right? And they counted as, as installs for... For Evernote. Like KPIs and so on, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, right? That gave them users, whether they actually use it or not, it gave them installs, right? Um, and uh, the VC industry is is uh, all built around growth, so they could show sure. growth rates, which led um, to um, the situation that they can raise more money to double down on that growth strategy. Mm-hmm. Again, whether it's used or not doesn't matter. It's installs that mattered at the time. And out of Switzerland, we simply couldn't compete with that, frankly speaking. If we yeah. called up in the Silicon Valley they said, who are you? Where are you? Sweden? Sweden? <laughs> no, Switzerland. Uh, And here in Switzerland, regardless of what you did at the time, you know, just post-financial crisis, 2009, 10, 11, impossible to raise amounts of money of significant scale to compete with a better
0: financed American rival. Sure. And then the installs gave them access to more funds and they basically took it from there. It's a barge. Exactly. And when was the actual moment when you decided to switch to another product? Like um, when did you realize that your idea is not taking off and you need to do something else? And
1: well, with insight, one is always smarter. Essentially, when Evernote came to market,
0: we were fucked.
1: We were just not, we were just not open enough towards ourselves to recognize that.
0: So that's something that you would done would do faster in retrospect. Uh, probably. Yeah. But it's hard when you're actually in we that maybe, situation.
1: maybe maybe wasted a year or so. Okay. Yeah, uh, maybe wasted a year or so.
0: Yeah, yeah that's correct. And then interestingly, you did not shut down the company because you also had some investors on board. We had a couple of local investors that's known, like Zekibi as an example out of the Pioneer Funds. That's correct. And there are other examples like Twitter, and they basically shut down a company and opened a new one to not have the same investors on board. But you decided not to do it that way because you don't, like, you didn't want to, sort of pull people over the table or how you can... We both come uh, from parts of Switzerland which are called
1: Emmental, Full in your case, or Oberes Emmental where I come from. Um, I come from a farming uh, village background. Uh, There are a couple of things that you're taught there, right, Zilan? There is no such thing as cheating mother nature. Yes. And you're always gonna see each other twice. Especially in Switzerland. Especially over here, right? Um, So it was out of the question that we had already components of the technology that make us great, for which we got, by the way, patents now as well, mm-hmm. in that previous company. In no way I would have uh, let down my current investors, taken out all of that IP, let them down, and um, uh, starts the company essentially based on the stuff they helped me build. Sure. That's not what I consider fair, that's not the way you do
0: business where I come from. So it's also very much driven by your personal values and ethics, right? Isn't any bigger business driven at the end by that? Maybe
1: short-term gain you can do by cheating, right. you can do by being obnoxious, no question. But longer-term things, I don't know. But I see it that way, or build around
0: values. I mean, I like that perspective. I'm not so sure if that's the case for all the big successful companies yet. But I don't know. Probably, I'm still too young to realize that. I don't know. And
1: then, if we, even if we don't become big and successful, if I look back on my life, that's the way
0: I want to be that's seen, true. not the other way around. Then in 2012, um, you switched to your new product called Squirrel, an augmented intelligence solution. And what, was, what, what sort of led you to that decision to say, hey, now is the right time to get active in that space? Whether it was the right time, probably not. We were, again,
1: a bit too early in the marketplace, maybe two or three years. Um, That AI thing that AI trying is by now totally overhyped, right? But by 2012, this was still very much kind of like an academic exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, um, However, if you look at the fundamentals in the world that goes ever more digital, in the world uh, that generates ever more data, at the moment, every year generates more data than all the previous years combined, right? Um, Where uh, publications like The Economist claim data to be the most valuable asset on planet Earth. Um, that's one end. The, the other end, you in that very same publication, they say that about eighty um, percent of that data is is of unstructured kind. We humans can read it. It's a, it's notes, it's research, and and out of that, just about one percent is ever used for analytics. This this essentially leaves out about ninety nine percent of all data that's never touched beyond creation. Again, missed opportunities, right? Uh, massively, big time, big time, missed opportunity, right? Now, as I said, the, the hard part of that is that from a computational perspective, many of those data elements are hard to deal with because they're not per se computable. Um, take all earnings transcripts that all, say, um, stock-quoted companies emit on a quarterly base. These are gazillion of millions of pages a year of published reports, right? Um, computers, in traditional terms, can simply kind of parse that for keywords that's it mm-hmm. um, that doesn't make much value to me that doesn't bring me much value yeah. because the way a CFO talks about her business might not be the way I search for what she's talking about her business right, right? Yes. Um, and back in 2012 and we had a bit of technology already developed back in, in in the Mnemonic days around the notion that if you're interested in a certain topic say you're a great fan of I don't know railroading or you're a big fan of certain cars or uh, whatever other hobby you have, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, why do you always need to go to new stuff? Why isn't that tool telling you automatically, hey, Silvan, here's something new about your your topic of interest. Right. To be able to do that, you need to develop an, an, a deep understanding of what you collect. what What is the content that you collect? Mm-hmm. And by definition, in a notebook, you collect unstructured content. So we at the time developed a bit, Bits and pieces of technology um, that allowed us to produce a computational understanding of that content. So we take that content, we 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 run that through a three-stepped model, gather, analyze, act, where at the end we have a computational model of what your interest is. Now, in the moment I have that, it's trivial, relatively trivial to go out and say, here is new elements that match that interest of yours, right? And um, so Tying these two loose ends together, you have enterprises uh, drowning in data, not making any use of it. And on the other end, uh, you have at the time in 2012-13, an infant a new technology stream called AI coming out of universities. That for the first time allowed you not only conceptually, because AI is old, 50 plus years old conceptually, but also computationally really... And analyze these data sets. And we simply added those two dots together and said mm-hmm. if you're able to build a solution that um, brings value by detecting patterns in unstructured text, you can have um, a, fantastic, a fantastic business in business optimization for businesses, mm-hmm. either through better customer insights or through improved performance on the service insights part of a business um, or through reduced risk exposure because you better understand what's happening. And that's what we start building in 2012, 13 about.
0: I think that's a very interesting area and we will cover that in the second episode. Yeah. How you also build an international business around that. So yeah. I'm very looking forward to that one. One thing that also stuck with me when doing the research for this episode is in an interview you said... Why did you start your next company, didn't shut it down? You basically said after the failure, as you called Mnemonic, um, nobody basically wanted to hire you. That's correct. To what extent did that also play play a role? (laughs) Well, you know, Switzerland
1: is a magnificent place to live. We both live here. It's a lovely place. You can bring up your family in a secure environment. It's well-maintained. The infrastructure is fantastic. Uh, Environment is intact and all that all that good things, um, however, also have some backsides of, of those good things. And one of the backside is that here in Switzerland, people are very reluctant to test out new things, are um, very risk-averse, right? And as opposed to maybe um, places like the Silicon Valley um, where success, but also failure, is a, is a, is a kind of like a, a, proven, a proven note that you know what you do. Right. Um, uh, here in Switzerland, one uh, um, looks at fail and, and thinks that person failed as a person, right? Which, again, is a missed opportunity. Yeah. Many of the biggest businesses, especially in the digital space, um, came out of failures. Google came out of a failure to sell itself to Yahoo.
0: <laughs> Which is actually pretty... Yeah,
1: pretty amazing, right? <laughs> Twitter came out of a fail of a fail to, to, to produce, to produce, I think it was an online video, whatever, whatever platform, community yeah. video platform. Yeah, something right? like that. Slack, most recently, to gone to, gone to um, uh, the stock exchange for an IPO of epic proportions, uh, came out of a failed online game, right? And so on and so on and so on. So um, to quote Churchill, right, success is if you continuously fail and still go at it, right? And that mentality is not something that is very
0: kind of like close to the hearts of many Swiss. That's mm-hmm. what I would say. With that quote and also your experience in mind, I'm very curious to hear what are your future plans? Obviously, you run a company. Yeah. Um, so you probably also have some plans for, for Squiro, sure. where you want to go. Sure. But what are your personal plans? Do you plan to do an IPO? you plan to do an, an exit in terms of selling the company? Or... What, what are my, you looking at? No,
1: for none of my companies had a plan to exit the business. I never intended to exit my position. Uh, maybe I would have changed my position, but I have never intended to exit Namix. I have never intended to exit local CH. Mm-hmm. We've never intended to make Monique fail, mm-hmm. obviously, and I have no intention to um, let Escura go. It's, it's simply too much fun, right? Mm-hmm. But then also let's face the digital realities of Switzerland, right? Um, maybe... To go back to that example earlier in the talk I gave about Endoxon, um, Endoxon's um, mapping technology was built by a person called Bernhard Seifelt, who uh, tested out the first ideas about that tiling of, of uh, maps across each other and, and have those in small tiles to be able to load faster. He tested that out, um, what was that, uh, 2000 or so, right? There was no Google Maps. There was, I believe it was called MapQuest. And these guys were terrible at that because they loaded entire maps and it took ages and it was awful and all that. So here you had suddenly innovation. And he paired up with the folks at Endoxon who had um, a lot of know-how and also digital maps, uh, know-how about about digital maps, about mapping generally and about digital maps. They had all that. And out of that grew Endoxon at the time. And... um, Muff, uh, the 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 founder and, and, and at the time CEO, he told me that many times, um, he really had that intention to make that a big business. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but to make that a big business, and one saw that what it subsequently would cost. It costs um, Google to this day's, to this day, billions per annum to maintain Google Maps on a worldwide scale. This is simply impossible to do out of Switzerland. Yeah. So what did the Fox do when Google came around and made them a, a, a super attractive offer, what I understand they made, it was the always thing to do, join them, right? Because you had suddenly global scale, access to kind of like infinite resources, um, and an ability to do what you love to do um, on a, a global scale. So, you know, will we be successful with Squirrel um, by, by going at, at that unstructured data market which is infinitely big. If you're successful, there will come a moment where we will be confronted with that same question. And the hard cold logic of the software industry in Switzerland is that there are no big software companies in Switzerland of size. Even though many of those things that we take for granted today have some Swiss origins, right? Face shift, uh, the face recognition Google, uh, sorry, Apple uses today on, on, on on its modern iPhones, comes from Lausanne. Half of Google Maps comes from uh, comes from Lucerne. Um, any Forbes 1,000 website today is often powered by the OB Web Experience, which traces its roots to Communique in Basel. That seems to be a pattern that is successful here in Switzerland. So, the hard code logic will make probable that uh, this company that I lead here will not
0: be eternally existent as an independent unit. But then also the question arises, aren't we selling ourselves short here in Switzerland? Yeah. I think one of your investors uh, would probably say, yes, we are, aria Ludi. Gravity affects us all, right? We can argue for the rest of
1: the evening that gravity is a sin because it ties us down to planet Earth and doesn't allow us to fly like a bird, right? Now. We can argue for that for the whole evening. We will not change a yacht about the forces of gravity affecting right. us. Um, now, I don't want to entirely compare the Swiss situation with that. It's simply kind of like exposed to gravitational forces outside its, its own control. Because in some areas, Switzerland has world-renowned clusters. Take pharmaceuticals. Yeah. There are six big pharmaceuticals, pharmaceutical companies in the world. Right? of the size of Novartis and Roche. Out of those six, two have their headquarters in Switzerland. Which is crazy if you Which look is at crazy the crazy if you think about it, right? right? Yeah. If you think for sure. about it. Yes. The same goes for, as an example, mechanical watchmaking. It would right. be it would be probably one of the most craziest ideas to build a mechanical luxury watchmaking facility in the Silicon Valley. They miss about everything. They miss the tradition in that, not that they don't have the ideas, they have brilliant people. They probably have wonderful ideas about how to build even more complexions into a watch than than the people here. I don't know. Maybe. Um, They, however, lack all the people that are able to build those watches. They lack access to distribution for those um, luxury watch channels, right? Um, they access the capital to finance such things because those VCs are used to finance uh, digital stuff, not watchmaking stuff. Right. And at the end of the day, if you, if you have external money in, that external money wants to get a return on, on its investment one stage, you also lack the people who are able to snap up such companies, which here in Switzerland is all a given. Take Swatch, take um, the Swiss-led operation of LBMH, and go to the Basel Watch, Watch World uh, Fair, right? Year after year, these folks buy the most innovative young watch companies there. By the way, it's exactly the same what Russian and Novartis do, right? They buy up uh, innovative young um, uh, pharmaceutical life science companies. Mm -hmm. So they have uh, in-house research, but they also have in that sense outhouse research. So in those areas, we have world clusters. Now we don't have it in the ICT sector per se. Is that now a big bad? Obviously, everybody wants to be good in everything, but that's not possible. No, right. So my view on that one is rather like um, go with the flow, accept the realities of your current situation. And the current situation is that big tech um, is probably one of the clusters that will not be ever uh, dominated by Switzerland. Mm-hmm.
0: And then you have to also adapt your game, how you play it. And if you understand that, you yeah, can absolutely. act accordingly. Absolutely. That's how I see it before we conclude this episode, I have two more questions for you. The first one, is there any favorite tool or gadget that you have that you use yourself on a regular basis? On a regular basis? Oh, I want now to
1: walk out of this room and have my signing pen.
0: Signing pen? Yes, absolutely. To sign some new deals. A
1: Mont Blanc signing pen. I nice. was given as a uh, gift of uh, thank you at the time from Namix. that has accompanied ever since whatever I have done. And whenever I get a new contract of size, I sign with that signing pen. That's my favorite gadget. Nice. So ideally,
0: you close a lot of new sales deals. Then basically. I need to
1: use that pen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I need
0: to use it more often, obviously. Sure. Yeah. Every day till my hand falls apart. It sounds like that a plan. That would be the best thing. And are there also any additional resources that you can recommend like books or blogs, podcasts, something like that that comes to mind? Um,
1: One of the books, there may be one or two books I I, I simply love to read. One I already mentioned earlier in that uh, program, um, even though my view, it's not written in a super exciting way, but the Toyota way is a a wonderful book. It gave me lots of inspiration how to manage a... um, company that is put together by um, a number of external parties, kind of like a virtual company. The way big auto car manufacturing um, uh, companies like Toyota or Volkswagen or so organize supply chains across the world is magnificent. Um, And the end products, whether one is a car guy or not, doesn't matter. It's extremely well-engineered products today. Absolutely. So the Toyota way gave me lots of inspiration, what you can mimic from their uh, expertise and, and apply that to software engineering. That's really one way. And another one is, is uh, build to last. Built to last um, um, from Jim Collins. Um, especially one quote, uh, One quote. if you now come to an end, that's, that's the quote that always keeps me going. Uh, in that book, they have this one quote um, from an interview they have led um with this one uh, with this one uh, American um, Navy um, general or Admiral I believe he was called Stockdale uh, Mr. Stockdale was the highest ranking American officer shot down over Vietnam and kept in a horrible um, uh, war of um, a prisoner prisoner of war camp called Hanoi Hilton for I believe the better part of about seven years right, right. um terrible and and unbelievable the sufferings and what humans can do to each other it's it's unbelievable and he came out alive unbroken he had lots of broken legs and bones and whatever but he came mentally unbroken out of that ordeal and they asked him how did you do that Um, you must be an absolute optimist and and he said no i'm not and the interview goes like that's impossible he said look the optimist said, we're going to be out by um, summer. Summer came, summer went, not out. We're going to be out by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving came, Thanksgiving went, not out. And Stockdale said, the latest, the second or third Thanksgiving, where they still are not, were not out, they were done. Yeah. But you can't be a negative person. You can't be a pessimist, can you? The interview goes, sure not. He says, those guys were done by the first Thanksgiving. Right. So what are you then? And he replied, um, not direct quote, but sort of, look, I had that unwavering belief of a positive outcome, yet I faced the brutal realities of my current situation. And that spirit, that Stockdale paradox, how Jim Collins calls it, that spirit uh, that keeps me going in in what I do in these kind of like entrepreneurial endeavors. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. And on the way there,
0: we're going to learn a ton of things. It's going to be brutal. But the end is worth it. I think that's a wonderful quote to end uh, this episode. Thank you so much for your time, Dorian. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Although we've come to the end of this episode, we're not done with Dorian yet we'll soon get to talk to him about internationalization and how to grow your business beyond Switzerland. If you want to listen to Dorian's knowledge and tips on this topic, make sure to tune in again next week for an all-new episode of The Swiss Printer Show. And if you want to support us in the meantime, we would highly appreciate your rating on Apple Podcasts so that we can share our content with even more people. Thank you so much.